Well, good morning, Anthem. Merry uh, Christmas celebration. Uh, so, good morning to you. And uh, uh, as Nathan just highlighted, we so far in Advent have highlighted the hope uh, that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Advent is a season where we're looking forward to uh, the, the arrival of Christ into the world. And so we have hope. And then last week, we looked at the fact that because of the arrival of Christ in the world, we also have a peace through His reign as the Prince of Peace. And then this week, what we're looking at is, is joy, that we have joy in Christ. And in this, I, I think I, I just want to start with this question, how, how do we find joy in, in the midst of life's circumstances? How do we find joy in the midst of life's circumstances? And when I use that word circumstance, I... I, I I think sometimes it almost becomes uh, this, uh, I don't know, ooh, kind of word out, like abstract. What do we mean by circumstance? Well, circumstance, actually, the word comes from the Latin for to circle something and then the stance of something. In other words, uh, what encircles you in your life? And I think that makes it feel a little bit more tangible, what I mean by circumstance, which means what are the things that right now are right in your face and are encircling you, are, are crowding everything out, are, are almost suffocatingly close, could be overwhelming you, or they be, could, could be giving you happiness, and they, they could be good circumstances. One of the reasons why I bring this up is because circumstances, we often think of, of joy in terms of what is really happiness. See, happiness is something that's found when your circumstances are good. Happiness is dependent upon good or favorable circumstances. But joy is a state of being. Joy is something that you can have no matter the circumstances, no matter what is encircling you in your life. And so how do we find joy in spite of whatever circumstances are in our life? When everything around us, our circumstances are encircling us and so suffocatingly close. There's something, uh, a story I heard, well, not a story, a, a bittersweet I guess it's a story, but a, a true story from about, about a month ago that I think captures some of these dynamics of, of how the Bible presents how we find joy. Uh, it, it was off the coast, I think it was around November 11th, 12th, and it was up around the Great Lakes region up uh, in Michigan. And, and there was a, a small commuter plane that was taking five people. Uh, to, to this small island, and, and they were going to be checking out some real estate and whatnot and just spending a day together as a family. And unfortunately, the, the plane ended up going down. And as they, the crews came to the plane, they of course expected that all five individuals would have perished. And when they arrived to the plane, they thought for sure all five had perished. But as they began to go through the, the wreckage, what they found was, while unconscious, there was uh, the little girl that was on the plane had somehow survived. And she was the one of the five who survived. And what they realized was that the way, as they examined her, because at the time she was still unconscious, was uh, that the way, uh, when they, they examined her, her body, they realized that there were only, um, like, the, the marks from the wreckage and the injuries were only on one small part of her body, and the rest of her body was virtually untouched. And, and what they realized as they looked at her is they said, I, in the placement of her father, they realized that what had allowed her to survive was that as the plane was probably bouncing and going through turbulence, and then as the plane went into a nosedive and the plane crashed, what happened was that her father had leaned in and embraced her and hugged her to shield her. And he had wrapped his arms around her, embraced her, and probably, I imagine, just whispering into her ear, I love you, I love you, as the plane went down. And, and as the plane crashed, though, his body shielded her, and he took the brunt of the force, and that is how she survived. And when she finally came to, that is exactly what she confirmed had happened. Now, it's a beautiful picture. It's a bittersweet picture. But I, I think it also captures something of, of what the gospel tells us about what it's like to journey through this life and the circumstances of this life, and how to find joy in the midst of it. Because see, here's the thing. In this life, it is filled with turbulence. It's filled with ups and downs. It's also filled with times of joy. 
or happiness and good circumstances, favorable circumstances. But ultimately, also, there are times, and I don't know about for you, but for some of us this season, because I think so often when we run to the, the topic of joy during the Christmas season, we just kind of run to the sentimental idea of just kind of, yeah, joy, joy, let's just have kind of a happy moment. And it, it reminds me of, uh, there was an old Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dandy Don Meredith, and he was one of the first commentators on Monday Night Football, when Monday Night Football became great. And I remember he had this line, he said, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas, right? And it's almost like for a time during Christmas, we get all all the candies and nuts, and we get all the presents, and we get all the circumstances that give us a momentary surge of happiness. But then life is filled with those ifs and buts. And how do we find something that lasts, and it lasts in every single season of life, this joy, this gritty reality, so that even when life feels like it's in a nosedive, even when life is filled with turbulence, or I hope for you, when life is filled with great and favorable circumstances, that nonetheless we would have joy. And what Isaiah is going to tell us today is that in the midst of life's circumstances, you, it's, you need a closer embrace. You need something closer that encircles you, that in the midst of everything that's coming around you, God has provided an embrace in his son in Jesus Christ. And it comes, as we'll see, with the arm of his justice and the arm of his grace. And in Christ, God has drawn near. And this is what Christmas is about, is the fact that God has come into the world to embrace us in his son so he can draw us near to himself. And he shields us from the things in this life and knowing him to give us a joy that can last through anything in this life and, yes, even through death have joy forevermore in his presence. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What first we're going to look at is the voice of circumstance, and then second, the voice of comfort, and then third, the voice or the song of joy. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this truth that, Lord, we can have joy no matter the circumstances of life. Lord, it's so often we just think of joy, and we, we lose hope having joy because we, we think of it as just something that's about our circumstances. And Lord, we get so busy trying to fix our circumstances and just find better circumstances. But Lord, in the midst of it, we find joy slipping away. But Lord, help us to see this morning that whether it's good circumstances or difficult circumstances, Lord, that you draw near and you embrace us in Christ. And that is where ultimate joy is found. And so Lord, show us how that is possible. Lord, would you speak to each of us where we need to hear this this morning. Would you give us Jesus? Would you give us joy in yourself? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we were in chapter 11 of Isaiah, and this week we're going to be jumping ahead. To, uh, we're going to look at chapter 36 here, and then chapter, 30, or chapter 40. And So you might be saying, well, that's quite a jump, right? Your chapter 11 to chapter 40, what happened in between? Well, what happens in between is actually in Isaiah, just a whole bunch of judgment and bad circumstances. <laughs> it's really, really bad. I've, I've heard of guys who preach through Isaiah, and the first question I always ask is, what did you do from chapter 12 to chapter 35? And they're like, dude, it was rough, right? Like, it's just bad circumstances after where God's just like, there's, there are realities here of the circumstances that you're in are a result of the things that you have done, your sin and the brokenness in the world, and that's just kind of just kind of snowballed, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and so God brings in his judgment, but then also in the midst of it, there are just bad circumstances, and out of coming out of that, we get a picture in chapter 40 of kind of what Isaiah, or what Israel, the people of Israel, the, the people of God, how they were thinking about this, kind of how they were interpreting it the entire time, and they were, they were doing it based on circumstance. It's, it's in uh, 40.27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. See, what, what are they saying there? What are they asking there? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded from, by my God. See, they're saying, perhaps, God, you're too weak. Perhaps you're too weak to do anything about what's going on around us. Or, or God, perhaps you just don't even care about what's going on. I mean, it's almost even worse than God's not powerful enough. It's just that God, God's just completely indifferent to whatever's going on in your life. And what's happened is over time, the people are listening to that voice. 
And over time, they've begun to think because they just hear the voice of the circumstances around them that perhaps actually God's not even, maybe he's not even there, he's not even who he says he is, maybe he doesn't even care, maybe God's just indifferent, and maybe for some of you, especially you've gone through seasons of life like that because you have an earthly father that's like that. So it's just like this is, of course this confirms everything I know about the universe to be true. I've been there. And so how did they get there? How did they get there? How did they get to that voice of circumstance? What I want to look at first is this voice of circumstance. And I, and I want to go back to where they encountered that first voice. And I, I think there are some dynamics here that are timeless dynamics of how the voices, voice of circumstance, the things that encircle us and kind of crowd out all the other voices in our life that just kind of come in and suffocate out everything else. The dynamic at play there and how it slowly begins to just completely rob us of joy. And so this is back actually in Isaiah 36. So if you have a a Bible. I'm going to have everything up on the screen, um, but if you have a Bible, you can uh, follow along. But uh, some of this I'll be jumping around a little bit. But uh, what happens in Isaiah 36, and this is kind of this message of circumstance that comes, is in Isaiah 36, it opens up where after all this time of judgment and these different things happening and these bad circumstances, then it kind of like the story, the narrative begins to move forward. And what happens is that this king of Assyria, he comes and it says in Isaiah 6, or 36, 1 through 5, it says that he comes around the city and he essentially takes all the fortified cities around Jerusalem. So what happens is you can imagine you're kind of the, the huddled masses here in this central city where you're the people of God and you're trying to be faithful and you're trying to follow God and slowly but surely all the fortified cities, in other words, all the, the lines of protection around you, they're all falling and he's conquered all of them. And now all of a sudden he's at the gate and he's knocking on the door and he's saying, I'm here, I'm here, repent or, or come out to me and, and trust in me. And so what happens at this point is the city is about ready to fall. And he says in verse five, he says, in whom do you now trust? In whom do you now trust? And in other words, what's happening and what it looks like in our day is, all these things in our life are just falling apart around us. The dominoes are falling one after another. Relationships are falling apart. It feels like the world or society around you. It feels like something in your workplace, your career. It feels like your health. Something, things are happening around you where just circumstances are just like dominoes falling around you. And it's getting to that place where now something shows up at the door and it's saying, who are you going to trust in? Because how's that going for you so far? And essentially what the king of Assyria is saying here is God is giving you all these promises, hasn't he? Aren't you the people of God? Aren't you the ones who God has said, you're my people and I'm going to save you and I'm going to set you aside and, and all these grand visions for your life. And here I am and I am about ready to conquer you. Why are you listening to his promises? Are they really promises? I'm reality showing up knocking at the door. Do you ever feel that? Where you say, yes, I, I want to be a person of faith. I want to be, you know, what does it look like to follow God and to trust him in my life? But you don't understand. Sometimes just the circumstances are so overwhelming. And it makes me wonder, like, God, you say you are this. You say you are who you say you are. But, Lord, are you really? Because it feels like something much more powerful is knocking on my door. Something much more powerful, much more real is encircling me. Do you ever hear that voice? I'll be honest, guys, I, I have many times where it seems like the, the circumstances in front of you are so much more powerful and so much realer. I don't know if realer is a word, but anyways, I coined it. More real. <laughs> so much more present tangible, like you can grab hold of them, trust it. What's right in front of you is more real than the God who is above you. And this voice of circumstance begins to speak. In fact, actually, what's interesting in verses 11 and 12, Isaiah 36 again, they begin to speak, and what the king does is he sends kind of these messengers, and they kind of stand in for the king, right? And then uh, God sends his messengers from his city, and they're this scribe and this record keeper, and they're there, and, and they're on the walls of, of the city of Jerusalem. And these guys are there at the walls, and they're like calling up from the king of Assyria, and they're like, hey, circumstances are here. Listen to us, right? 
And, and what happens is they're on the wall, and they actually say, wait, 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 hey, 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 uh, could you speak in Arabic? Uh, and like, why? And they're like, well, because the people will understand you if you speak in Hebrew. So if you could speak in Arabic, and we could do this in Arabic so they don't hear you, right? So like there was no Google Translate in that day. And so what they're trying to do is this message and the circumstances are so bad that they're like, we don't want the people to hear this. So what they do, <laughs> so what the scribes do is they're like, listen, listen to this response. This is in verse 12. But they said, has my master sent me to speak to the king of Assyria, to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, to the people of Israel, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Merry Christmas, right? Like, these, this is, this, here's your circumstances, right? This is what's about to come down. And they say, are we not going to tell them? They're going to share in this. And so they just begin to speak loudly in Hebrew so all the people can hear. And this voice of circumstance begins to echo throughout the people of Israel. And what this voice of circumstance does is it highlights three things. It's going to highlight three things. And we're going to see a little bit where God's voice of comfort highlights three things that parallel them. But they're going to highlight three things. And the voice of circumstance in our life will always highlight these three things. And the first one is it highlights chaos. It highlights the chaos. In verse, starting then in verse 13, Then they stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, that's the king of Israel, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. See, what happens is they say, don't, don't listen to that voice. That, and the king here is supposed to be speaking the voice of God to the people. So really, Hezekiah here stands in directly for the Lord, where he's pointing them to what God has said to the people and referring back to the promises of God. And they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Christian, don't you see? Why would you listen? When everything is chaos, don't you see who's in charge here? Chaos is in charge. Problems are in charge. Difficulties are in charge. The cells that are going rogue in your body are in charge. The strife that is just continuing to burrow down, forming a crack in the foundation of your marriage, that's what's in charge. Economically, whatever it is out there going on, <laughs> that's in charge. See, what the voice of circumstance says is, don't you see, why would you listen to the God? Because God's not in charge. <laughs> He's not. The one who is in charge is chaos. This impersonal force. This force that doesn't care for you, it's in charge. And it will always be in charge. And again, what happens is that's so disorienting because it seems like, wait, 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 who, if there's no one in charge here, then that means everything's just random accidents that are happening. And, and here's the thing, if, if you're here today and you're a Christian, this is how we often as Christians live functionally and like non-believers, right? Because Christians are the ones who are like, the, the universe was spoken into existence and God created all things and God is the one who is sovereign over it and he's created all things for good and, and, and everything isn't random chance and just molecule, molecules coming together by accidental random collisions and, and so everything has meaning and we, we say these things but as soon as chaos hits, oftentimes the way we live is as if, wait a minute, he doesn't care anymore. He's not there anymore. He's absent. I, I don't know how to put this together, but he's just, he's just not there. He doesn't care. And what happens is circumstances can crowd out the voice of God, and it begins to encircle us. and begins to just whisper in our ear constantly. It's like, imagine going back to the plane where it's like on the intercom. Imagine just the intercom in the midst of that chaos. Like, this is everything. Chaos. The second thing that it highlights is lack. Verses 16 and 17, Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one his own fig tree. And each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. By the way, these are people who have been uh, holed up for a while. 
They're starving. So he's telling them, you're going to have your own vine, you're going to get your own fig tree, you're going to drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and of vineyards. Now, you can imagine the people, they're hearing this, they're like, well, drink my own urine, wine. Eh, I'll go with the wine, right? Sounds like a pretty good deal. Here's the thing, when you're disoriented by just the chaos around you, and that's all there is around you, when the voice of circumstance is saying that, what happens is you begin to just grab onto anything solid. Because when you don't have this foundation of like, there's a, there's a God here, there's someone there who's actually got this thing, who actually cares. What happens is you begin to grab onto whatever is around you that can give you something solid to hang on to. And I know oftentimes we think, well, I, don't, I can just make my own truth and I can just make my own thing. But here's the thing, in the midst of that chaos, how do you even know what you're grabbing onto is solid? And that's why we go through seasons of life where we think, oh, confident that I can grab onto this thing, but then that relationship isn't enough. And then you grab onto this thing, but then that career isn't enough. And you grab onto this thing and that increasing ballooning salary and retirement fund and all those things. Why aren't they enough? They're all good things, but why aren't they enough in the midst of life's ups and downs? It always we think we can just find a little bit of peace by grabbing onto something, and that's where we start to live our lives, just the grass is always greener on the other side, and it's always we go through these seasons of maybe if I'm in a different city, maybe if I find a different career, maybe if I find a different spouse, maybe if I find different friends, and on and on and on, maybe if I find a different church, right? <laughs> that will fix it because we're trying to grab onto something. Because circumstances highlight wherever you are now, you lack, and you will always lack. And so we begin to grab onto things that we think will give us that sense of, of just peace and joy. But then what happens is in the midst of it, man, you're not able, I mean, think about that. You're not able to, in the moment, if everything that's being highlighted is lack, you're not able to just in the moment enjoy what you have in your marriage. You're not able to just enjoy what you have with your children. I will just to enjoy the season of singleness or enjoy the, sing, the season of, of being living with your roommates and, and enjoying what, the life that God has given you because he's given you life, but instead all we see is lack. And constantly we're searching for joy, but we can't find it. It's like this vapor because of the fact that we're constantly just seeing lack. And, and here's the third thing then that the voice of reason, or reason, voice of circumstance highlights is vulnerability. So then if all we're seeing is we're always vulnerable to life's circumstances, we're always lacking, then what happens is we're always vulnerable to someone promising, like peace. We're always vulnerable then to that voice of circumstance that makes us vulnerable because it, it highlights that we're vulnerable. And so when we're constantly, we're destabilized and we just see chaos around us and we begin hearing that voice and then we begin grabbing onto things. Well, here's the thing. We live in a world where there are lots of people out there and lots of things out there that will sell you a bill of goods if you'll just grab onto them. If you'll give your life to them, if you'll give your wallet to them, if you'll give your freedom to them. In other words, what happens is that, la or that, that voice of circumstance eventually ends in us completely becoming vulnerable and easy to manipulate because we're always looking for that sense of joy. Or what happens is, I think what happens honestly in the end, and we're going to see here, this is what happens with the king of Israel actually is I think we just realize like we're so vulnerable to the life around us and all we want to do is just check out. And I, I think right now this is something that's happened over the last 10 years with the advent of, especially with social media and kind of global news, global, but yet local news all the time. We see all things. We have like this God's eye view of the world and we thought we wanted that, but then we don't know how to filter that and process that. And what's happening is we're so overwhelmed by everything around us. And what we're doing now is we're just saying, I want to check out versus checking into life because I just want to numb myself and I feel so vulnerable to all the circumstances around me that just seem to be encircling all the time. And so we're just increasingly saying, I'm just going to numb myself. I'm going to check out. Thank you very much. I'm just going to try to find a little bit of happiness. And so we find ourselves mindlessly just scrolling on our phones while life is happening right in front of us and all around us. 
There are other ways it happens, but... And this is what actually happens with the king of Israel. This is where the people go. It says then in a, in a, few, in a few chapters later, in Isaiah 39a, Hezekiah the king, he said to Isaiah, after Isaiah comes to him and says, hey, you need to respond well, and, and there's kind of a, a brief time where they kind of gin up enough to respond. He says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, and here's what he, for he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. So actually what's going to happen is everything's falling apart, but what he says is, at least in my day there will be peace and security. I don't have to deal with it. I can check out. I can sit back in my armchair and just be numb. And oftentimes, even in the search for happiness, we just find ourselves in a place of numbness. I remember this hit me a few years ago on Christmas where I realized that was something that I was experiencing. Like, here I am on the holidays. This is time of joy. This is time of happiness. And I remember just sitting there through the whole day just feeling this numbness. And it's because so often the voice of circumstances overwhelms and becomes this voice and it brings us there. And so in the midst of that, this is why God speaks his word of comfort. He speaks his word of comfort to his people. And that's the second point, voice of comfort. Chapter 40 in Isaiah marks this kind of massive shift. So Isaiah 1 through 39, oftentimes scholars will actually call it first and second Isaiah. People have debated whether it's two different authors of Isaiah because they're, they're such stark different messages. But here's what's happening. Isaiah 1 through 39 is actually this history of how Israel, the final stage where they're like, they're just the reality of their sin and the circumstances surrounding them and, and how is God going to save them. And what happens is chapter 40 through the end of Isaiah is about how God in the future is going to bring about this salvation. So God proclaims this message because Israel is about ready to be conquered and go into exile. And he says, listen, in the midst of this, I want you to know how you're going to find salvation, how you're going to find joy, and I'm going to bring that joy to you. And so he speaks, he opens chapter 40 with this kind of transition with this voice of comfort. And here's what he, what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so what happens is in the midst of they were, there was judgment and there was this, okay, God, I don't even know how to sort out how much of my circumstances are because of the result of my actions and how much is the result of other people's actions. And it's just a big mess. Have you ever been there, right? It's like, if I'm honest with myself, I have so many circumstances in my life that I don't even know how much I've caused this. I know there are a lot that aren't really, they're just outside of me, but there's, there's just this huge cauldron. It's just a big mess. And this is what Israel found themselves in, and this is what we find ourselves in. And God's saying, this is a condition of the world in which you find yourselves in, but I'm going to save you. And what God says is, I'm not going to just come. He says, I'm just going to pour out grace upon grace upon grace. See, here's the thing. Christmas says, and I know we hear this all the time, you know, it's, uh, what is it? The uh, Santa's making a list. He's checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? And, and so we, we live in this season where even still we kind of go like, well, well, you better be nice. And if you're not, if you're not naughty, then you, you don't get the coal, right? That was a double negative. I don't remember if I said that right. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. But what he says here is I'm going to give you double from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sins. He's not saying I'm going to, like, stamp you out. I'm going to punish you double. But what he's saying here is that whereas Santa might check his list twice, here's the thing. God took the list. He knows the entire list of transgressions, Colossians says. And he took that list, and twice he nailed it to the cross, and then Jesus died for those sins. And so now you're covered by the grace of God. And so now, no matter what it is that is there, Whatever ways you've been naughty, whatever ways you've been bad, whatever ways you brought brokenness, whatever ways the strife in your relationships is there because of you. Here's the thing. God says, let me deal with that. Get underneath that so that you can have hope and you can move forward and there can be joy. And so God says, somehow I'm going to deal with all of your sins, double for all of your sins. And so this voice of comfort breaks out. And the first thing it highlights is the glory of God. 
In verses 3 through 5, it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, My glory is my holiness gone public. God says, my glory, I want you to see my glory. And that's me, my being, my nature, who I am, encountering me face to face. This is my being gone public, my holiness gone public. And here's the thing, my holiness is a, I have a passion for my holiness, a passion for my glory, because I am a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit from eternity past, and I am in a relationship of love and delight. And I've created a world overflowing with that passion for my very glory and my very self. And I've made you in my image so that you might be able to join in that joy. So you'd be able to live in that reality. That's what you were created for. And what he says here is he's saying, he's not saying, you know, well, the earth has got too many ups and mountains and valleys. So we're just going to like flatten it out. And you're like, well, that seems like a boring world, Lord. Right? Well, no, what he's saying here in this prophecy is saying we're all the places where you walk through the desert and life feels like you're just walking through sand and you're just like parched and are just thirsting for life. He says, I'm going to give you a highway. I'm going to pave it. So you're no longer just trudging through sand, but there's actually direction here and you have firm ground that you can stand on. And it's going to point you towards my glory. It's going to point you towards that life. And all the ups and downs of life, hear this, I'm the creator and I'm going to re-enter the creation and I'm going to do such a work that those ups and downs, those may be, you know, kind of topographically realities on the, on the globe, but in your spiritual life, the reality is I'm going to flatten this thing out so that what you have internally is this level ground that you live on, this secure reality that is my joy, my delight, that is knowing me. And it all points you towards my glory. And here's the thing. What he's saying here is circumstances will only highlight chaos. But God's word and God's message is see my glory. All things are being renewed. All things are being restored. So that that original glory, that original joy, that original life would return and you would have it. So that you would know that in the midst of whatever life brings to you, whatever circumstances encircle you, that that would become the reality that even more intimately embraces you. And he says the way that you have this perspective is the second thing that highlights the voice of comfort is the word of God. Verses six through eight, he says, a voice cries, and, and I said, what shall I cry? It, or a voice says, cry. I, well, what do you want me to cry, right? <laughs> and he says, Cry out this, all flesh is grass and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God is saying here in the midst of a world in which it's so easy in the midst of circumstances to think, I've just got to, in the midst of this, I've got to come up with some truth. I've got to come up with some meaning. I've got to figure out some way to make sense of all this. And what he's saying is just you, you can't. You can't. You need my word. And, and notice here, he's paralleling here. He says, and my word is not just kind of like, here's a book, and so read this book like some kind of textbook, but this is my word to you. And this same word is the, the same, it was breathed out by me, Paul says. It was breathed out by God. And the same breath that actually enlivens you and, and animates every living creature in this world. He says, this is the source of life, and I've made myself intimately known. And here's the thing. In the midst of the ups and downs of life, God says you can have a sure word. He's just told us he's going to bring about his, so we can see his glory and we can know it forever. And then you go, well, how is that going to happen? And he says, I've told you. And every day you can read this thing, and you can be realigned to that reality, and you can be refocused on that reality. And he says, there's so many words swirling around you on the intercom of the cabin of life when you're flying through it that's saying, hold on, it's going down. And God says, is my word. Are you going to allow me to draw near and embrace you and whisper in your ear what you need to hear? And what is most true in the midst of those circumstances? My word is sure. 
And that's important because he's going to give us, lastly, in the word of comfort, he's going to highlight his embrace. Verses 9 and 11, then he says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, says the city, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Remember, the cities of Judah, God so far has been bringing judgment for so long. And so behold your God. And you can imagine Judah's going, whoa, uh, is this good news or bad news, right? Is this a threat or is this grace? Because we, they've realized a holy God and we're not holy. And so if we encounter him, what's going to happen here? And God says, I'm going to bring my holiness, I'm going to bring my glory, I'm going to bring my joy, I'm going to bring my love, and I'm going to bring it. And even where you've turned against that, I'm going to deal with it so that we can be together again. We can be reconciled. And I can embrace you. And when I embrace you, you're not going to be consumed. And so here's what he says. How is that going to happen? Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. So it, recompense is like his judgment for sin, the, the comeuppance, you could say, right? And so his judgment goes before him, and then it says that his reward is with him. So it's kind of like, I, like I, I can't think, okay, I'm just going to say it. This is like, it's like the gospel mullet, okay? Like, right? Like all business in the front, party in the back, right? Like where it's like God is all business up front, where it's like, I'm, I've got to deal with the reality of this world. Listen, here's why the Bible talks so seriously about sin. It's not because it's like, well, we just want people to feel bad and the Bible's about moral stuff. Here's the thing. The whole Bible is about God created us to know him, to live with him, to be with him forever. We were supposed to know that the garden state and the whole Bible is about reconciling that reality. And everything the Bible talks about sin is not just because God's like some prude. God is full of delight and love, and the reason why what he describes as sin are the things that get in the way of us experiencing that reality. And God is about getting rid of anything. He's passionate about that. And so God, what goes before him is his recompense, his making things right, his burning down injustice, his burning away everything that is impure. And yes, that includes us. I don't want to spend eternity with the dark shadows that are within me. That is no salvation. But how does God do it? And, and here's the thing. I know when we see this, like, might, you know, like, and, and how is God's coming? And some of us, I know, immediately we're like, oh, that's, is that a bad thing? Like, God, oh, he's powerful, and he's coming with might. But here's the thing. We love this. We love the idea that God comes for us like this. This is why we love movies like Taken, right? Like, remember that, Liam Nielsen? Right? Everyone loves movies like that. When Liam Nielsen, he comes after his daughter. It's like, um, what is that line where he's like, I will find you. Right? We're like, do it, dad. Right? Like, and then it's like all business in front. And then it's like at the end when he gets his daughter, it's like party in the back. Like, right? It's all, all wrath up front and all judgment up front, but then all grace in the back where he just embraces her. Right? And, and this is why we love Taken and movies. like This is why we have Taken and Taken 2 and like Taken the college years. Right? I was like, we should make like a... Uh, I don't know, some Christmas movie, right? The Grinch Who Taken Christmas, I don't know. I could do this all day. Uh, but we love, why do we love it? Because there's something hardwired into us. We go, yes, there needs to be justice. But yes, also, it's motivated by love. It's motivated by the fact that whatever it is, even what's in us, and that's where the analogy breaks down from Taken. Because also, we're the enemy. but also we are the beloved who God seeks out, his child. And what Isaiah is saying here is that his recompense is before him. It's business, it's judgment, God dealing with all the things that have put up a wall between us and him, all the things that have caused the circumstances of this world and have caused those circumstances not just outside us, but inside us of depression and just melancholy and just brokenness. God says, I want to remove that so you can have joy in my presence. And what God does is he goes here and his arm of judgment, not just some sentimental grace, oh, everything's fine. And you're wondering the whole time, actually, God, I know that the things done to me and I know that the things that I do, actually, I feel like they deserve some kind of death here. And he goes, yes, they do. And I've dealt with it. His arm of justice and then his arm of grace in the back 
His recompenses before him, his reward is with him. And he embraces us and pulls us close. And this is where Isaiah then breaks out in the song of joy. He says, who has measured, starting in verse 12, hear this, might, and then we're going to hear grace. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the scale or the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Do you hear this, might? You see mountains and you realize for God, it's just something small where he just holds it in his hand. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or who has shown him his counsel? Whom did he consult? All truth is his. Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Just see everything here that we attempt to atone ourselves with, trying to understand the world enough, seeking through philosophy and all these things. And just All we're doing is just discovering a little bit of what God has known from eternity past. To whom then would you liken God or what likeness compare him with? An idol? An idol? A craftsman cast it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. So we find all these things in life. You, an idol? You're trying to replace this reality with a career? Trying to replace this reality with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? With a, a couple of likes? On Instagram? With, with, with a position? With prestige? With success? With, you're trying to replace this with that? And God's saying those are all good things. But here's the thing. Don't try to craft them in such a way that they replace me, have these things, but then have me. Don't have time to read all of it. But then his arm of justice. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing arm of power, of justice, and then the arm of grace. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, grace. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, not fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles or wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God says, I, this is a song of joy that comes in this prophecy. I'm saying God has come with his justice and his grace and he has embraced you. How ultimately does he do that? How does he do that? This is why Mark in the New Testament, Mark's gospel about the life of Jesus Christ opens by, by pointing and quoting to this passage in Isaiah. Mark 1, 1 through 3 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face and will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What Mark is saying here is he's saying, the one I'm about ready to tell you about is the one who's going to fulfill everything that Isaiah talked about. Everything in Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66 everything in the entire Old Testament, but specifically here and these promises, the one who is going to come into the world, the one who God's prophesying, who he's promising, saying no matter what encircles you, my children are just going through this world, just up and down and just being battered again and again by circumstances, just suffocating them and leading them to numb themselves and not be fully alive as I've created them to know joy and love and peace. 
And he says, I am coming, and I am going to bring my arm of justice and my arm of grace. And he does it in the one Mark tells us about Jesus Christ. And this is why Mark immediately, when Jesus begins his ministry just a few verses later, he specifically starts it then with pointing to his baptism. He says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, this is Mark 1, 9, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, Jesus came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. See what happens is Jesus goes under the waters of judgment. He brings in God's strong arm. And this is a picture of what will happen on the cross. That on the cross, judgment and grace and mercy kiss. The impossible becomes possible. And what happens in his baptism is it shows he will go under judgment and go under death. He will take on the nosedive of life and that entire reality. All the circumstances, all the brokenness, all the sin. All that is ours but then he will rise out of it because he is the gracious, merciful, perfect, obedient son of God. And he rises out of the grave and he embraces us then with his arm of justice and his arm of grace. And he says, now you are free. Now walk in newness of life. Now stay here in this embrace and hear God whisper over you every day in the midst of the ups and downs, in the midst of the turbulence, in the midst of the just the cabin going dark in the midst of whatever it is in your life, hear him whisper in your ear, I delight in you, I love you. See, the Bible doesn't promise ever, and my job as a pastor is not just to remove all difficulty. In fact, my job as a pastor is ultimately to prepare you for the hardest things in life. The gospel doesn't just give us some nice little sentimental things so that we can just kind of, you know, TikTok dance to it and then that's like it, right? Nothing wrong with that if you want to do that, but, but ultimately what the gospel does is it says even when ultimately life will go down into a nosedive and one day you will enter the grave, but here's the thing, and my job is to prepare you for that. And what the gospel does is every day it says in the midst of it, here's the thing, because even in that worst circumstance, here's the reality, is that you have a God who is a God of joy, who is embracing you even now. And it says no matter how much in life, and I hope for you the circumstances are good, but miss whatever life brings, you can hear that call because that is the reality that he is yours forever in Jesus. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter what encircles you. That is a closer encircling in the arms of God in Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul eventually says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In every circumstance that it, it encircles us, we can know a deeper embrace in the arms of joy himself. And the Holy Spirit comes to reside and just to constantly remind us God gives us his word so that the Holy Spirit has just, you could say, uh, something to burn, kindling to burn with, just packing our lives with the word of God like kindling and then so that when the fire comes from the Holy Spirit, it burns and has life to give and a message to give to remind us of who we are in Christ, to remind us of our ultimate circumstance. And here's the thing, what I'll say is, I know this morning there may be a few of you who, here's where I'll land. Peace. Uh, for some of you who are believers, what do you do with this? You may be saying, here's the thing, you may be living life, saying, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but in the midst of the circumstances of life, thinking of the plain reality. We're constantly fretting. We're constantly like, it's almost like we're running up trying to take over the wheel of the plane. We're trying constantly. We're just, we're not being reminded of the fact that, of who Christ is and the reality that we have in him. Are you allowing him to embrace you? Are there circumstances right now in your life? Are there things that are just riddling you with anxiety? And, and the thing is, what would it look like to calm down, to shut off those other voices, to turn off Twitter, to turn off the news feed, to turn off whatever those voices are and spend time with just sitting and allowing it and saying, God, would you embrace me? Would you draw near and just embrace me? Let me look at my sin, that strong arm of justice. Are there things here that are causing things? And Lord, give me your grace and, and Lord, embrace me.
in the midst of this. Hold me. For those of you who may be saying, hey, I'm, I don't really know if I'm really a person, that this faith thing, I, I, I don't know if I have enough faith. You know, there are all kinds of ways we say it, but Christianity doesn't present where the, the point is that you, it's the strength of your faith. You may be right now overwhelmed by life, not know where to turn. And what I'd say this morning is consider that, that picture where it's, it's not about how strong can you be to find, have faith, to find Jesus, to find God. The point is that we would actually surrender and allow God to embrace us in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you have even the faith of a mustard seed. Say, I don't, I don't know what it looks like. My life is a mess. I don't know where to go from here. I've, I'm hung up on all these things, and I've, I've, there's wreckage, there's carnage, or, or maybe it's just I've just never felt like I needed it, but it's not about how strong, how much of a faithful spiritual person you are, your temperament or whatnot. It's about will you allow God just to embrace you in Christ and say, yes, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge where I've, there's sin in my life, and I don't even know how to make ends of it or even begin to understand it and sort through it. But here's the thing, God, I need your grace. I need you. And would you this today just allow yourself to be embraced, to cry out to God? For all of us this morning, this Christmas season, it's a, it's a season filled with happiness and it's a season filled with, with, I want it to be a season filled with joy. Joy isn't found in circumstances, nor does joy, ultimately, does joy come wrapped in a box on Christmas morning. Ultimately, joy comes swaddled in a manger. A picture of God's close encircling of us with his arms, of justice and joy. And no matter the circumstances encircling, know that in Christ you can be embraced. So hear his voice of comfort and live his song of joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, your word. Lord, we ask that you would this morning help us to find, Lord, to, to allow ourselves to be embraced. Lord, this morning, would you, each individual here, what I can proclaim broadly, like a shotgun blast, but Lord, your spirit, you are a comforter. Spirit, you know each individual in this room. Spirit, you know where life is turbulent. You know for each individual here where that, that pit in their stomach, the, the things that are circumstances that are encircling them, the voices in their life, whatever, whatever it may be, Lord, the, the pain, the, the illness, the relationships falling apart, Lord, whatever it may be, just hurt, loss. Lord, you're the one who draws near. Lord, who comforts, who, who grabs us even closer than the circumstances around us and, and pours out your love, pours out your joy into us. And so, Lord, would you, would you draw near to them and would you, Spirit, speak the words they need to hear? To hear, you are my child, I delight in you as I delight in Christ. If you are one with him, you are mine. I will never let you go. Lord, may that be a joy that holds us all through the holidays. Lord, that gives us joy, gives us life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.